many people think I am a long-term planner. And with some things I am, like with my company, Towerscope, I made a 10-year plan for it. And frankly, I was just as impressed as you are with myself for doing that. I've never done that before. Um, rarely think that way, but it provided me with some kind of vision around what I wanted to achieve in that way. And I don't go so far as to create like specific yearly or quarterly goals. Some think, some people might think that that's foolish, but I think that I've achieved much more by allowing myself the flexibility to pivot and do things sooner or stop doing things that don't work, which is helping me succeed in perhaps different ways then maybe we currently define success. And that's what we're talking about today, the idea of long-term planning versus adaptability in uncertain times. Welcome to the Hard Skills Podcast and show with me, Dr. Mira Bronku. If you're here live, hello. Nice to have you join us today. I work with leaders in healthcare, research, STEM, and other technical fields who recognize that developing yourself and your teams And creating a healthy, inclusive workplace environment will help you retain the best people doing the highest level work. In other words, developing the hard skills needed to make a great impact. If you value evidence-based solutions and are committed to consistent practice, then this is the show for you. And this season, we're exploring the final stage, I mean, the first stage of my strategic leadership pathway program facing uncertainty. And today... We are talking with Dan Alcalde about why long-term planning won't help you lead through uncertainty, not always. Now, I don't want you watching or listening to this passively. I want you ready to reflect deeply, take notes, I do, right? And identify at least one small step to further develop your hard skills muscle. So let me introduce Dan. Dan is a seasoned agile coach and people leader who works at all levels in an organization to help them be more adaptable, resilient, agile, and find their best ways of working. With over 20 years of experience, he's helped teams deliver more effectively at companies like the New York Times, Newsweek, Major League Baseball, and Zapier, as well as with startups and other enterprises. In his work, he focuses on empowering individuals, fostering a psychologically safe environment, and listening first. He applies these approaches every day in his leadership style as well. And he also has a YouTube channel. Hopefully I will be able to show it a little bit later called Agile Alpaca. Love the name. It's a really good show. You should definitely check it out. And there he posts seriously awesome videos about applying agile principles to improving teamwork and functioning. And I am eating his videos up. So you definitely need to check them out. Now, Dan and I also have some background. We've known each other from high school, and we recently did not go to our 30-year reunion. (laughs) I know, 30. I'm dating us, okay? Um, So if you're a Sachemite, you know what that means, and you're out there watching, hello, nice to see you all. That means that I've known Dan for more than twice as long as I've known my children, by the way. Okay? (laughs) Kind of scary. So welcome, Dan. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We've known each other, like you said, a very long time. And it's been great to see the progress you've made. Absolutely. So uh, the first question I bet people want to know is, what were you like in high school? And what was I like in high school? Do you even remember what you were like in high school? I remember what I was like in high school. I remember vaguely. I mean, I was a pretty quiet kid, goody two shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I recall one story that involves you <laughs> and us going to Taco Bell and your car broke down. Hmm. I, I need to hear about this. This is not a surprise, though, about my car. <laughs> your car broke down. We got stuck at Taco Bell. So oh we had God. to wait for the next period for the next round of students to show up. And then we all hit strides back to the school and when we got back to the school the dean needed to talk to us about missing class but looked at us and we were all not nerdy. troublemakers <laughs> yes <laughs> nerdy as well and he's like just just go <laughs> that is hilarious and i must have blocked it out i'm so embarrassed i'm sure um i um remember myself um as 
Daria. If, if any of you, again, I'm dating myself here, but in the nineties, <laughs> there was a cartoon show called Daria and she kind of wore all black and she was kind of like a real dry wit, sarcastic type. That was me. Look <laughs> her up. <laughs> now, um, did you think about this long-term planning stuff way back when in high school? Like, th- did that ever come up for you? Like, did you think about the future in that way? I mean, to some degree, like all high school students did, you know, you have this picture in your head of what's going to happen after and being that we were the nerdiest kind of kids <laughs> and we're goody two shoes. Like the plan was graduate high school, go to a good college, do your four years, maybe go on to more school or go into your career choice and rough idea of what the career might be. I think at the time I was thinking I wanted to be a writer of some sort or a teacher. And so, you know, I had that plan, but mm-hmm. I also had the very rapid learning experience of uncertainty in that situation because uh, I went to NYU where I had an almost complete scholarship, almost being the key word. And after my first year, I owed a little bit of money for that first year. And I just couldn't at 18, could not come up with that. And so I was rapidly in an unforeseen circumstance where I had to drop out of school, get a job to pay my rent in Manhattan in New York City landed in the restaurant business and had to just kind of adapt to these new circumstances that I found myself in. That's incredible. Honestly, I didn't have um, even that good of a plan. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, okay, people are applying to places. So I guess I should apply to a college. (laughs) How do you do that? (laughs) I will say Um, I I didn't apply to that many schools for much of the same reason because it's it was a lot of work. And I was like, I, I have to go somewhere. So I want to live in New York City. NYU sounds good. <laughs> good for you. Now, um, how did you then end up doing agile coaching? What What is an agile coach? And how did you end up in that situation doing this? Work? Sure. So let me preface an agile coach. So let's describe the, what I do for a living. Uh, you, you summarize it pretty well in my intro. I help teams, uh, specifically in software product development. And that means software developers, product managers, designers, executives, everyone involved in the crafting of software. And my role is to find and help the teams find the best ways of working. So it's a very human-centric approach to what are the processes, practices, and methods that these teams need to be able to be successful and to deliver value for their companies. Um, A lot of that leans toward Agile. Now, Agile is a framework or a mindset that has been around for about 20 plus years at this point. Um, Won't go into the whole history of Agile because there's just so much there. Um, But essentially, it's all about focusing on the people involved and making a psychologically safe environment where teams can iterate and experiment towards success. So build a little bit, test it, make sure it's the right thing, that you're on the right path, and iterate based on that new information. So it's a very empirical process. How I got there is a winding road where I was a waiter in Manhattan, worked my way up into restaurant management, used that to get myself uh, a sales job at Gateway Computers back in the day when the the cow boxes were a thing. Used that to get into a management role at Gateway and CompUSA. Leveraged that experience of customer service to get a job during the first dot-com boom at theglobe.com as a customer service rep. And from there, I just started moving up and going into positions that had to do with project management and managing the software development process for teams. I was never a coder. That was not my thing. I learned that in high school. Love what computers can do. Did not like the act of writing code. But being able to enable others to do that more effectively um, was crucial for me and just so, so inspiring. Yeah, that's fascinating. Also, I tried coding in college. I barely eked out a C. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how did you, when did you decide to shift from the more sort of like management roles that you were sort of leaning into, um, into supporting managers, leaders, teams? I don't know that there was any any time a conscious shift. You know, a lot of my managerial experience at that point had been in the service industry. And then, you know, I knew I wasn't going to go into a tech company and be a manager right away. So I kind of worked my way up. But owning the delivery of products, so as a project manager or as a product manager, um, I found, well, I learned a lot of lessons. I learned because I tried doing it very traditional ways at first and that did not go well. Um, but I learned that I really enjoyed it when the people around me 
were their best selves. And so that could be as a manager. It hasn't been lately just because this coach role has really suited me very well. But the opportunity to enable and empower folks um, was was super rewarding. And it kind of just grew from there. Yeah. I mean, I asked because I think I've had some uh, we both have had a, a strange, similar trajectory in that way, you know, that um, in, in that I um, leaned more into management roles for a while, but then I just realized how much I really liked teaching other people how to do that, how to, how to um, build teams well, how to be good leaders to their team members. And um, what's interesting to me is I didn't know anything about agile, um, but it was coming from, um, from the psychology field the organizational development work um, is is sort of related to psychology. And so I came at it from that way. Agile comes from more software development and it adds this continuous improvement process, which I really like, which I think is really important so that you don't get frustrated early on when something doesn't work. So um, as we're thinking about that, how does that relate to long-term planning, right? Why are we... um, um, starting to think more now than ever before around this sort of um, small, smaller steps, less long-term planning. I mean, I think it, it dovetails really nicely. It's it's that iterative approach, right? That continuous improvement applies not just to your processes, but also to the products or things that you're building. And so, I think when you're thinking about long-term planning, you're thinking about the stuff you're going to build or the stuff you're going to accomplish and taking that iterative approach works there as well. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to that in just a second, because we are nearing an ad break. Um, You're listening to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronco and our guest, Dan Alcalde. The hard skills airs live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And if you'd like to join our online audience and ask any questions that we can answer right now, you can in real time. Find us on LinkedIn or at YouTube at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be back with our guests in just a moment. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome, welcome back. I am here with Dan Alcalde on the hard skills. And I just saw um, already one of our high school friends, Andrea Pogarski, is online with us. Hi, Andrea. (laughs) Um, I wanted to share your website before we go on because I have it pulled up here. Um, All right. Are we able to see it? Can you see it? Not yet. Let me try to share it one more time. 
Are you able to see it? No. I'm not seeing anything at the moment, no. Dang. Okay. Let me give up on that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem with being live. Actually, this is the great part about being live. Okay, let's get into um, some of the questions that, that we started talking about, like long-term planning versus short-term planning. Um, you know, it's been drilled into us, I feel like, to be planful, right? If you want to get anything done, if you want to be successful, if you want to reach your highest goals, whatever, if you don't want to be reactive, if you want to be proactive, long-term planning is the answer, right? So, um, but you're saying that maybe it's not always the answer. Maybe not now, maybe not during uncertain times. So let's hear more about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can use an example from way back in the day. One of my first projects that I ever worked on was when I worked at a crisis communications firm and our client was a large financial financial institution. And their press department wanted a way to be able to um, reach out to journalists to get their experts in the news. They want, you know, just they want those quotes printed. And the way that they had been doing that to date was to just blast facts a quote every day when news broke. So if, you know, Microsoft was going to buy Google They'd get an expert quote, send it to every journalist they knew and hope that someone would print it. Obviously not the most effective way. So they consulted our company and we agreed to build out a product for them to solve this problem. That'll be more customized. And this is back in 2001. So early days of the internet. Mm-hmm. And I was the lead on that project. So I spent about two months writing up a requirements document of everything that this product would have. Every feature, every tool, went back and forth with them on it. And they were like, great. Then I wrote that into a technical specification document. Again, another month or two of just writing a document. Uh, the first doc was about 40 or 50 pages long. The second doc was closer to 100. Everyone signed off, lots of negotiation. Everyone was like, great. Time to build it. Spent a year building out this product. And it was amazing. Like, you know, journalists could come in and listen to or subscribe to only specific experts, topics, companies, the, uh, the press team could just send out to whichever group needed and wanted that. So it was a lot, ta- lot more tailored. But for a year, we didn't talk to them. But we had a big plan, Gantt charts, schedules, the whole nine yards. And we did it. After a year, we built and delivered this product to them. And I went up to, to their location, to their headquarters to train their team. And they're like, this is amazing. This is such a cool tool. It's so dynamic. It's so like top tech. We're never going to use it. And the product never launched. It was too radical a departure for them in terms of their process. And what I learned was that as confident as we were, as confident as they were, that this was a tool that would be beneficial to them. We didn't inspect and adapt along the way. We didn't check in. We didn't give us room to pivot. If we had been doing that, we might have found out earlier that it wasn't going to work for them in this way. And we might have found a better solution for them. So that's one of the biggest problems with long-term planning is it gives you the sense of confidence that you know 100% today what's going to be true a quarter, a year, five years, 10 years from now. And you're missing a quarter, a year, five years, or 10 years worth of knowledge that you will be getting in the interim, uh, especially in uncertain times where things can change so radically. And Absolutely, that was a huge yeah. lesson for me. <laughs> it was, it, it's a, it's a great lesson. And, um, it's, it's making me think of a couple of things. Number one, um, one of, one of our, our colleagues that posted on, on LinkedIn, when we were asking like, what questions would you have about, um, this Emily Crookson, she's a ghostwriter and content marketer, strat, uh, marketing strategist. And she said, you know, it's easy to believe that planning makes us invincible. Right. Yeah. And you were saying that like, um, you can be fooled by the allure of um, the confidence you get from having a hundred page document that specifies everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if, if it's not implementable or if it's not meeting the, the market needs or, um, you know, not um, hitting the trend, right. Or whatever it is, and you can't use it. Gosh, that's like a year and a half of time you put into this right, exactly. to develop it. There's a lot of effort, even those documents, the effort that goes into producing them before we even built a product ended up being wasted time where we could have found a better way to approach the the problem and try to solve it. 
Uh, and I think that's where th- this comes in is because so many of the long-term plans that we look at focus on these outputs. What are the things we're going to do, the things we're going to build, and not the outcomes? What are we trying to actually achieve with those um, there's this sense of confidence when you know all these outputs and you detail them. You're like, well, if I do these hundred things, I will get that outcome. And that's not always true. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and, you know, and I'm also thinking as, as you're saying this, like I'm thinking about how I had this, this vision, you know, starting this year to start a membership community program for leadership development. And, um, you know, um, this, this grand idea that like, it'll just be accepted automatically. And I, you know, I was working with a consultant. She's like, maybe you should start with a pilot <laughs> of just like, you know, a nine week or six week pilot just to have people get a taste of it, try it out. And then you're tweaking and you're iterating. And this is kind of what you're speaking to as well. Like you're learning what works, what doesn't, instead of putting it together and then finding out like it's not exactly meeting the needs that people have. Exactly. And I think that goes toward the notion, even in your example of the outcome versus the outputs, right? Uh, outputs are much more likely to change, especially in uncertain times. But those are where we put most of our effort frequently when we're doing long-term planning. Outcomes aren't. They're a lot more resilient to that change. So in your case, you want to build a community of the folks that you coach and the leadership community that hasn't shifted, but how you get there does. Yes. And being able to adapt those steps is super crucial to deliver that outcome. Yeah. And I appreciate that you're saying that because it's not about the what, it's about the how mm-hmm. that you're mentioning, right? So it's not like I'm giving up on my vision of having a membership community program. It will happen, right? But how it happens in order to meet certain needs of the community is um, is different than the what? Is that how you're you're sort of thinking about it as well? Exactly, and that's what gives you the flexibility to adapt as things change, right? As you learn new information, um, the thing that you think today is going to be super successful to get to that outcome or to that to that what that you're or to the what you're trying to achieve um, may be different than what you're going to think a month from now. Yeah, uh, and. and- and so um, as I'm thinking about like your role as an agile coach, right, and a leader, um, how do you bring this in to teams? Um, how do you help them sort of like um, maybe let go of some of that, you know, I need this uh, confidence to have the long-term plan or especially like when you think about um, this sort of old outdated, um, you know, strategic planning must be three to five years long. And it's got to be like super detailed. And like you said, like a hundred pages, that's, that ends up on somebody's shelf. Right. And then everybody's frustrated that they spent like, God knows how, how long in a retreat developing this thing. There, right? uh, at one point I interviewed at a company and the head of product showed me their, their annual roadmap. And it was printed out on a giant poster board that was like four feet wide. Um, I ended up taking that job. And by my, the time that I started, I met with him my first week during introductions and I asked him about that roadmap and it had already changed. And so that printed board that he spent so much money and was so proud oh, of yes. in the interview was just waste at this point. It was, it was being thrown out. Um, so I think that, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure for that, especially from stakeholders, uh, shareholders, customers. They want to know when am I going to get these things? What I like to do is really start with, again, those, those outcomes that you want to achieve. So rather than planning the three to five years, here's all the things we're going to build or all the things we're going to do. Think about what do you want to achieve with that? Is it market share? Is it revenue? Is What is the problem you're trying to solve with? And focus on the problems, not the solutions. Because again, those are less likely to change. Uh, they're a little more resilient to uncertain times because it's more than likely that in your business or in your vertical, whatever you're trying to solve, isn't that problem is still going to be there. And if it does get better, then that's a different issue to deal with. The other thing that I like to encourage teams to do is to always ask those whys. Why is this important? Why are we trying to solve for this problem? So that they can understand those outcomes at, at the base level and make informed decisions about what things can they should keep doing, what things they should toss away. And then lastly, just iterate, right? You know, whether that is a living roadmap. So instead of planning out a year's worth of stuff uh, or even a quarter's worth, 
what I often suggest is planning out, you know, plan out three months ahead, but understand that the stuff you're going to do this month is probably 90% confident that, you, that that's what's going to be real. The second month will be 60% and the third month will be 30%. And then the next month you do that again. So you do these small incremental plannings rather than large, big company retreat, plan out the next three to five years, plan a little bit, recognizing that the confidence will dip the further out you go and revisit that on a regular cadence to adjust it as needed. Interesting. So let's say a company has a really big gnarly problem they want to solve, right? Like large scale change, culture change is usually the most common, right? Um, It's going to take, those kinds of things take a long time. Culture change itself In fact, um, I find the opposite, which is people want to put in a year and Mm. I keep saying it's going to take 10 years, (laughs) you know, for culture change. Um, But either way, it's such a broad scale change and it's so important to them. How do you hold on to both the idea that this large problem we want to solve is really important and we don't want to let go of it. And at the same time, try to focus on those small incremental things that you mentioned. Well, keeping that target in mind always and aligning the steps you're taking toward it is, is a huge first step because one of the problems in those types of transformations is frequently they, they think that it's a switch you can flip, right? If we do all these things, we flip a switch and now our culture is better. But really, it's a journey of many little steps. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you make sure that all of the steps you're taking are in alignment to that goal and you revisit those and measure those and evaluate whether they're helping, you can show progress without it being one big bang solution. On that note, we are going to go into an ad break, but I definitely want to follow up after that. You're listening to the hard skills show with me, Dr. Mira Branco and our guest, Dan Alcalde. Stick around. We'll be right back. passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Okay, if you're watching, this is attempt number three for me to show (laughs) Dan's Agile Alpaca um, YouTube channel. Are you able to see it now, Dan? Yes. Oh, thank God. Okay, so we have it up if you're watching. Um, Take us through this for uh, just a second. I really want people to be able to find this. What, What are we seeing here and what can people find when they go to this page? Not as much as I'd like there to be just yet. <laughs> Still very early days. Um, but yeah, if you go onto YouTube and you search for Agile Apaca, you'll find my channel. Um, right now, there's a couple of 
full-length videos and some shorts that I've been working on. And basically what I'm trying to do is just get some of the guidance that I typically offer teams out there. So a lot of folks, when I leave a company, they ask me, Hey, Dan, can I have your presentation? Or can I, you know, can I have that knowledge? You know, you're departing our company, but we don't want to lose all the stuff that you've taught us. So I'm hoping to build out a a library of stuff like that. That might be interesting. Um, And also do some shorts since that's the the new hotness on YouTube is to have short form content. Super awesome. Super awesome. Okay. So we were just um, where we left off before the break is you saying that you want to have like the big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Like this big culture change thing. Um, And to recognize that it is a journey of small steps aligned to the big goal. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, tell us like, number one, what are the three biggest challenges that you see leaders facing when they're trying to balance keeping a hold of the vision on the big goal and then moving into the small steps all aligned to the big goal. What are, what are like the three major challenges that we, that they find? So I think one of the first ones is we we hinted at it earlier is that expectations from stakeholders, shareholders, customers Mm -hmm. who want to know what are you building? When are you launching it? What am I going to be delivering? Pressures. Yeah. Right. How much revenue is it going to drive? Um, if it's a transformation internally, when is it going to be complete? How are we going to measure all of that? And that pressure trickles down through the org. And that often leads to managers trying to control a lot more than mm. they really have control over. Um, but it's a natural instinct in uncertain times to kind of try to wrestle control over everything and not just those things you can actually control. Great point. Um, I think another aspect is... Um, trying to think how to phrase it. (laughs) It's dealing with that chaos that can happen. Change is hard. And when it's completely top down, it feels very psychologically unsafe for those on the bottom. They don't feel like they have a voice. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. Um, and the same is true for any type of plan. If you hand someone a plan, here's how, you know, here's a road trip you're going on and here's every turn you're going to make and how fast you're going to be going. That doesn't really give the person any sense of autonomy or purpose in their life. Yeah. But if yeah. You choose, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say um, that is where I feel like I'm working with a lot of leaders around this, understanding it and appreciating um, that when there's, change, when there's uncertainty, um, there's going to be people that are very uncomfortable with change and not happy about change. And this is a very normal human behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and we all do it. Even if you embrace change like me and like you, we still do it sometimes, right? And it doesn't usually look like um, people saying, uh, hey, boss, I'm uncomfortable with change and it's making me anxious. It doesn't look like that, right? It looks like um, people picking apart the idea, people scrutinizing, people sabotaging or undermining, whatever it takes to stop the change, (laughs) right? Um, And I suspect that as an agile coach, you're probably helping them manage some of that Mm -hmm. um, kind of challenge during um, this process. But I also suspect that... um, Maybe by putting it into smaller pieces, smaller steps, it could give them a sense of more autonomy and control. Would you, is, is that kind of what you find? Yeah, exactly. And I think you know the circumstances you described where when that happens and folks sabotage or they, they push back or even they just don't perform as well. Mm-hmm. It's instinctive for a manager to say, okay, well, they're underperforming or they're, they're being bad employees. I need to exert more control to correct that. Not realizing that the root cause of the performance issues is that excessive control. Uh, and it's natural instinct. Like I said earlier, you know, when you hit uncertain times, you just try to control everything that's in your power to control. So a lot of my work is trying to establish that trust and that psychological safety. Um, and that goes up the chain, not just manager level, but executives and, and shareholders. You know, a common request would be something like status reports. You know, give me the weekly status report on. Mm-hmm. Everything was going. And 
for a lot of teams, that feels really burdensome. And it feels like there's extra work they have to do to report on a status rather than just doing the work that would deliver the value they're hoping to. But the managers don't see delivery. They don't see the day-to-day happenings. So they want that update so that they can feel in the loop and informed and can communicate that upwards. And that's where if you're doing those iterative steps where you're demonstrating that value on a regular basis proactively and collecting feedback, you can start building that trust with your customers, with your managers. Um, And it's hard. Don't get me wrong because there's a notion of, and I've seen this before with teams wanting to demonstrate everything they build every two weeks to the entire company. Um, When you can do that, it's great. People and the rest of the company don't need a status report because they're seeing actual delivery on a very frequent and regular cadence. They know when to expect things. They know that progress is happening or if it's not, why? And so status reports and, and a lot of the administrative work falls away because they build that trust. But it's kind of circular. Getting them to actually accept that that that's going to work is hard. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it's trying to sell them on the, on the practice. Absolutely. So, so um, what then are maybe three best practice tips that you would offer leaders um, tr- trying to find that right balance um, and build that, you know, psychological safety, the trust, the, um, leaning into small steps and continuous improvement process, what what three best practice tips would you offer? I think the first would be describe the, the what, not the how. So again, talk about the outcomes. As a leader, what are you hoping to achieve and why is it important? Explaining the, the value of what you're asking of them um, goes a really long way. The, the folks that you work for you are invested. They're interested. They wouldn't be there otherwise. Treat them like adults. And let them solve the problems that you're you're experiencing rather than dictate to them what solutions you want in place. Um, second is, and, and this goes hand in hand with that, is, is create an environment of autonomy. Right? Let them experiment. Let them try things. Let them, uh, let them fail. Hopefully not on the big scale, but if you're doing iterative steps, letting them fail will be much more cost effective because it, it's, you know, a two-week incident rather than a full-year project. But they learn from that and then they can improve. And lastly, I think really encourage that culture of experimentation. So that ties in with those first two. So you're giving them a desired outcome. You're giving them the permission to fail. So let them experiment. Let them try things that maybe they wouldn't have thought of or you wouldn't have thought of. Time bound it. Don't let them, you know, it's not a, you have five years to go off and see if you can make something work, but try something for a couple of weeks or go down a path, explore it, and then come back with those findings. And let's use that empirically to make decisions on how to improve. What are the benefits if they do this? What are the benefits to leaders and what are the benefits to employees if if they lean into these? So for leaders, they will frequently get uh, happier employees, which also applies to employees. Um, They will, and happy workplaces is usually a productive workplace. Um, they also don't need to feel like they're micromanaging all the time. You know, um, any leader that I know, their calendars are filled with meetings and updates going up, going down. Uh, and any way you can lighten that load where they have that trust that the team is going to do what they're expecting and deliver value goes a really long way. For the teams itself, it, you know, Daniel Pink talks about for thought workers, there's three types of motivation, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And an approach like this really solves for all three of those. You know, you let them embrace their skills so they can better and that ties to the mastery. The autonomy we've discussed already, like the understanding that they have the freedom to experiment, to try things, and that they own the solutions. And then purpose. They know why. They know what you're trying to achieve and the value it's going to bring for the team, for the company, and for its customers. Uh, So that can be a really great way to motivate a team to feel ownership and invested in in the work they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I um, am thinking of one other benefit that I got out of letting go, which Mm -hmm. is really what you're saying. Just let go and let your people be able to do their thing in their way. Um, Over time in my leadership career, what I learned was that 
once I mastered something and I taught someone else to do it, and then I let them go do it their own way, just having the like basic skill sets to do it, but then do it in their own way. Not only did I sometimes get better products than I would have ever come up with myself, right? And I was like pleasantly surprised and it was like a new way of doing something. But number two, which was really important and helpful to my own career was that um, I was able to let that go so that I could take on more and more other things at higher levels and continue progressing my career and my interests while I was building other people up to do their thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it also helps the organization and the and the leaders themselves, right? Exactly. And it lets them focus on um, other problems that maybe they can't delegate down or that are outside of the bailiwick of the team to, to help for. I think there's a third one too that I forgot to mention that dovetails with that is, uh, and you hinted at it, those other folks are going to try things that you would not have thought of. So it's a great opportunity to learn and grow as, as a manager yourself, seeing yeah. other people take the things that you've applied uh, and twist them and try different ways of doing them. Um, I have learned so much from watching folks that I've worked with try things that I thought 100% would never work uh, based on my experience. And seeing them find ways to make it work is, is very illuminating. Absolutely, 100%. Okay, so um, we're moving into our last ad break. You're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronfu, and with our guest, Dan Alcalde. And if you're joining us live, make sure that you add any questions or comments uh, because we will respond to them. So we will be back with our guest in just a moment. Thank you. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Hard Skills with Dan Alcalde. Um, we have been talking a lot about why you shouldn't do long-term planning uh, during a time of uncertainty when you're leading through, through a time of uncertainty. However, now that we've drilled it into you to not do this, <laughs> I am curious, Dan, are there times when we should do some long-term planning and when? Yeah, and I think that that's something that, a lot of folks target agilists, so they're like, oh, agilists hate plants. And that's not true. If we do like plants, uh, I think you should always be doing some long-term planning in terms of visionary, like we talked about, like the outcomes you want to achieve. Um, but give yourself that flexibility on how you might approach it. That said, there are going to be cases where you may be doing something where you are 100% confident accurately that you know all of the requirements. You know, If you're building a house, 
chances are you do not want to be iterating through the structure of the house. Or if you're building a nuclear submarine, there are certain realms where you want to be a lot more confident from the get-go of what you're building because you have to. Same thing applies in software for places like regulatory issues where you have to meet certain standards, uh, security concerns. There are going to be areas that are unchangeable or immutable that you know you have to include. And that can be fair to kind of plan out. Uh, But it's always important to remember that doesn't happen in vacuum. So there will still be uncertainty. There will still be other things happening that you need to account for. Uh, And so finding a balance can be super valuable. Yeah. That all makes perfect sense. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So we had a number of questions that came through um, this week asking you a little bit more to to go through this. So we're going to go into a lightning round. I'm going to ask you questions that we got from um, this time. They all came through LinkedIn. So I'm going to read them off to you and let's see what you think about each of these. (laughs) Okay, ready? Okay, so. Um, Heather Winter, who is also an agile coach and ex-Zapier, asks, as a former teammate of Dan's, I'm excited about this, love to hear what you have to say about how our innate need for control factors into this. How can we find just enough for our situation and let the rest go? Ooh, gosh, that's that's a really good question. <laughs> it is, and there's so much there that... It's hard in the lightning answer. I think, you know, we talked, we touched upon this a little, you know, experimenting with it, especially as a leader and letting, you know, that first time is always hard. Letting your, trusting that your team is going to do it and letting go of that control because it's in our nature to want to control uncertainty and to want to control the things we can. You get into a position of leadership because you have experience in a realm. So you think you know it better than the folks that are below you. Uh, so letting that go can be really, really hard. Don't get me wrong. Just, I don't know the best way to tell you to just let it go. You know, uh, That will depend on you. It'll depend on working with a coach, whether it's an agile coach, a leadership coach, a mentor, or, or a leader above you to figure out, okay, how can I trust my team? How can I do this uh, so that I can grow from it? Uh, like I would encourage a team, try it a little bit, see how it goes. Uh, in my experience, most times when leaders do try this and trust their teams, they find that that trust was warranted. And then it's a little easier the next time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to emphasize the word trust here mm-hmm. because you never go from, I don't trust you to I 100% trust you in any relationship, whether at work, at home, in your family, and trust is multidimensional. I might be able to trust my um, parents with my money and my children, right? But maybe not my deepest, darkest secrets that make them uncomfortable as their child. (laughs) You know what I mean? Trust is multidimensional. We trust different people with different things. And we're always needing to test out that trust slowly. Can I let this go? And what do you do with it? And what happens? This small thing. Here, let me give you this just small thing. You let me know what happens and I'll watch. And that is a test of trust. And it's not like you're like, you know, testing them like in a manipulative way. It's that you are beginning to develop trust slowly and creating helping relationships. And that takes a while, right? So that's how I would sort of lean into letting go of control is if you're all, if they're at 0%, what does 10% look like for you, right? If you're at 10%, what does 20% look like for you? Yeah. And there's, there's a great exercise that I've seen people use and and it could apply in a situation like this is, you know, if you ask someone, okay, if if our trust right now is at a, a one, what does it take to get to a two out of five? What do we need to do? Asking yourself that or asking your manager or your, your report, like, what do we need to do? What are the small steps to kind of build that? Um, goes a long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Ellie Glassford, who is an ageism expert and champion for women, asks the um, question, how can procrastination masquerade as long-term planning? Ooh, that's good. As a lifelong procrastinator, this this resonates. Uh, (laughs) I wrote my notes for, for all of these questions about 20 minutes before I dropped on the call. So I understand that. (laughs) 
Um, I think the difference is, is that with procrastination, you're usually putting something off and it's either still tied to a date. Like this time slot was going to happen regardless. So I knew that um, it wasn't a long-term planning that was, you know, fraught with uncertainty. I knew that this deadline was going to happen and that I would have to do it sooner or later. Uh, so I think that's less uh, of what Ellie is asking here. I think more frequently, it's those things that we keep pushing down the road, maybe that don't have a hard and fast time frame. And what I would suggest in a situation like that is we haven't talked a lot about prioritization, but that's a big factor in roadmaps. And if you're continuously pushing something, is it really a priority? Does it need to still be on your roadmap? Does it still need to be on your horizon as an individual? Um, I know I, and this ties to letting it go as well. Letting things go just because you decided at some point to do something doesn't mean you have to always decide to do that thing. And we get caught up in that by, well, I made a commitment to myself. So I don't want to do it now though. So I'm going to do it next week. And then the week after and the week after, but at some point, is that really something that you need to do for yourself? Is it something that brings value or joy? Um, and maybe we get rid of that. Yeah. Now let me ask you, the opposite end of the spectrum is what Emily Crookston asked. She was that ghostwriter and content marketing strategist I mentioned. And she said, um, there's a tricky balance between over planning to the point that you avoid actually trying things out and then being planful enough to optimize small wins. So over planning is almost like the opposite of procrastination. But do they serve the same purpose? What do you think about that? I think they can. I think in both cases, you're you're making an assumption today about future you or future team or future org. Um, when you're over planning, it's that false sense of confidence that you know exactly what's going to happen over the next X period of time. Um, when you're procrastinating, it's something that you are making a decision is important for yourself to do or, or you're being asked to do. Uh, and I think in both cases, it you need to have that balance where you have an opportunity to to reevaluate. Um, is this still important? Is this still valuable? Uh, am I on the right path? Uh, like we said earlier, long-term planning can, you know, there are some aspects of it that you want to keep. You want to keep that North Star. You want to keep that goal in mind. You want to keep that objective. So are these steps aligned to that can be a great healthy balance where you still have a vision, you have a destination in mind, but you have a tool to constantly evaluate those small wins and those steps. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Last one, Becky Brown. She's a career coach, mentor, and sales trainer for leaders and teams. And she wondered, how can you be more agile in uncertain times while remaining focused on a strategy that is aligned with your core values? So now we're talking not just the organizational values, but your core values. I think that also goes to some of the points we made about um, Leaders giving those teams the autonomy, mastery, and purpose right? so they understand why they're working on. And they can make that judgment on, is this aligned to my core values as a person? Now, it's easy to say in a, in a good employee market, if you're working someplace and for whatever reason, it's no longer aligned to your core values, then vote with your feet and find a new opportunity. There will always be new jobs out there. In a tougher market like it is today, I know that can be really hard. So looking for opportunities to uh, speak your piece, talk about where you see that misalignment, talk about why you think things might be better for the company or organization if they were more aligned to yours can be a great tool to kind of course correct. Even if, again, small iterative steps, you're not going to get the CEO tomorrow to flip the switch and, and radically shift, but taking those small steps and communicating that upward. Thank you, Dan. This was awesome. What is one thing you would like people to take away? And if they want to find you, where can they find you? Sure. I think the one thing is just um, take small steps, right? Always be evaluating. Don't try to solve everything all at once, whether that's a personal objective, a work objective, or your company's objective. Know where you're going, but take small steps toward that goal. As where they can find me, I'm on LinkedIn uh, under Dan Alcalde. I'm happy to connect with folks who want to talk more about Agile process people leadership. Uh, and as you showed earlier, my Agile Alpaca channel on YouTube, um, which I shall be building out more in the near future. 
And my takeaway is just what you said, always be evaluating ABE, not ABC, always be closing. (laughs) (laughs) That is Dan's takeaway. What did you all take away? What is one important small step that you can take to implement based on what he shared? Share it with us on LinkedIn so we can cheer you on. What we talked about in this episode is one of the many important aspects of leaning into nuanced hard skills needed to become an exceptional leader who can drive significant systemic change to make real impact. Now, I mentioned my team and I are currently developing uh, Tower Scope Leadership Academy. You'll hear more about that nine-week beta program um, about the membership program. It will start the week of October 2nd. Applications open up September 15th through 19th. I will share more a little bit later on. But until then, find us on LinkedIn, find us on t- talkradio.nyc at mirabronku.com. Thank you very much. Next time, we'll have Patty Weeder talk about Um, some more interesting aspects of leaning into uncertainty. So stay tuned and thank you for tuning in. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.